is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 76 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. I hope this finds you well. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. Folks, it was an absolutely action-packed week here on the Homestead. Extremely, extremely busy. And so without further ado, I am going to hop right into this week's Homestead Happenings. Folks, our homestead has absolutely exploded this week in growth and just so many things going on. It's that time of the year. I absolutely love spring. And I sat down and calculated it out. And if my figures are right, from last Sunday till now, we have over 90 new animals here on the homestead. That's right, folks. Over 90 new animals here on the homestead. Now, a lot of them are chicks and some of them are turkey poults, but again, 90, over 90 new animals here on the homestead. And as I kind of hinted at last week, a few animals that I thought I would never, ever get here on the homestead. But before we get to those, let me just start at the very beginning of the week. Now, it was kind of a bit of a bittersweet week for us here on the homestead because I have had three sows in with my two boars. Uh, Two, Sage and Betswine Ross were in with Bear and Basil has been in with Boris. And I had been keeping an eye on uh, Sage and Betswine Ross I really wasn't quite sure when the magic had happened. (laughs) I didn't see any of the breeding that took place there. And so I really wasn't sure as far as a date, but as I was watching Betswine Ross kind of balloon up, I knew we were getting close. And so my focus was on her, not so much on Sage. On Monday, I was running a little bit late, and so I asked my wife to do the morning feeding with our pigs. It's not something that I do very often, but I asked her to do that, and she did. Uh, And the reason why I mentioned that is because Monday evening when I went to feed the pigs, I recognized that Sage was a little skinnier than she had been. Now, I don't know if she had been skinny that morning because I didn't feed her. And my wife doesn't feed the pigs all that often, so she wouldn't know what to look for condition-wise. I noticed that Sage was much skinnier, and so I started looking around, and I found a nest that she had made with an old tarp down in the lower part of the paddock. And unfortunately, all I found was one live piglet. Now, Sunday evening into Monday, it was relatively cold. It was down, I think, in the mid-20s. And so if she had the piglets then, which is what I am guessing she did, my my belief is that the piglets died from exposure 
and she ate them, which is a natural instinct with pigs. So unfortunately, out of that litter, only one survived. The exciting thing about that is that is going to be a very, very hardy pig. It's a female. She confirmation wise from my first kind of look at her, I think she is going to have great potential as a breeder. And that kind of hardiness is something that I definitely want to breed for. She has a great disposition and she is well put together. So the, the downside to that mistake that I made in not moving those sows any sooner has had an upside from the standpoint of helping me determine some good genetics in my herd. Anyhow, uh, what I went ahead and did on Monday is move sage and basil. It was, it was just chaotic. It was crazy. I had to relocate the other pigs to their summer shelter and I had to put tarps up for that and I had to run and get hay. And it was just, it was insanity on Monday night. On Wednesday, I believe it was Betswine Ross had her litter. Now she had seven piglets. And so then we had eight piglets in that pen. I had the mothers together and they have been co-mothering. It's kind of funny. They lay down kind of belly to belly and the piglets are kind of in the middle and they are just sucking from both spigots, so to speak. (laughs) So I think I'm going to end up with some really chunky, well-fed piglets. Uh, But anyhow, that was the exciting part with that this week. Now on to the baby chicks. In order to tell you that story, well, let me go get my wife because I messed up. Hold on. I'll be right back. So folks, I am very, very pleased to welcome to the podcast. I think this is your first time on the podcast, My correct? very first time. So I am very, very excited to welcome to the podcast, Mrs. 3B Farm and Homestead. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's, uh, But my beautiful wife, Bonnie Wells. Welcome. Thank you. Now, it is very, very funny. We, we've talked about having you on the podcast before. And it's just not quite worked out. But this week, I well, I messed up. And so in, in the spirit of true humility, I am welcoming you to the Homestead Journey podcast to kind of fall on the sword and own my stuff. Okay? Okay. So here's the deal, folks. We got the call this week that our meat birds were... At the post office, uh, always excited to get that phone call. I had the the uh, mobile coop all prepped, with the exception of turning on the light and opening up the bags of shavings. And of course, I didn't have food and water and that kind of stuff out there. And so I was at work when I got the phone call, and I work five minutes from the post office, five minutes from home. Very very blessed. And so I called Bonnie and I said, "Babe, I've got the phone call. the The chicks are in." Could you run out to the mobile coop? Could you turn on the lights and could you open up the shavings? And you said, sure, I'm right on it. And so she graciously did that. And so when I got home, not only was she turning on the lights and opening up the shavings, but she was also putting the food and the water out there. And so I was kind of in a hurry to get back to work. And so I said, babe, you've got this. And you said, okay. 
So he put the baby chicks in the mobile coop with me. And yep. off he went. And I just did my thing. And I finished the shavings and the water and the feed and all that. And I dipped their beaks. And I went to go out of the coop. And what happened? And I discovered that he had locked the door. <laughs> That's right, folks. I had just in the hurry that I was, I flipped the latch on the outside of the door and locked her in the mobile coop. So now here you are locked in the mobile coop. I, at this point, have driven back to work. I have no idea what's going on. And so what did you do next? Well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't mean to lock me in there. And of course, I wouldn't have heard it because it's not a latch like a hook. The, um, it's just a piece of um, wood um, that you just latch it. I mean, you just, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, it's just it's just a wooden. With a screw through the middle of it. Yeah. You just, yeah. Anyway, so I went to push open the door and it wouldn't open. So I said, how am I going to get out of there, out of here? So I tried banging on the door again, and I knew there wasn't any way that I was going to get out that way. So then I thought, oh, the windows. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no, these are rickety windows. These are metal windows. What if they rusted during the winter? And, and folks, to tell you, these windows are cast off windows that I got from my aunts. They've got little metal tabs that you have to slide in and then lift up at the same time, which requires a little bit of coordination. Not to say that my wife doesn't have coordination, but she is not exactly the most coordinated person in the world. But beyond that, even in the best of circumstances, there are times when I have to go get pliers and grab a hold of those metal latches in order to be able to get enough leverage to open them up. So carry on. So I'm thinking, what if these things rusted? So I go over to the window and I um, pull the things together and the window did come open. So I was very thankful. So I stick my head out the window and I start yelling for my son. And I realize He's inside getting around for school and he didn't hear me. Now, half the time when he's in the house and she hollers for him, he doesn't hear her. So think about him being indoors. She's outside a fair distance away from the house. He's not going to hear. So I said, well, you fool, the same window that you're yelling out of, you can climb out of. So um, that I was thankful that the wheels stick out from the side of the mobile coupe and there's like a cover over the wheel or it folks it would not have been pretty it's about four feet off of the ground wouldn't you say yeah yeah um and so i said okay i can do this and it was very elegant i i did it so elegantly um and i made my way out of the coop and so since all things went well and I wasn't stuck in there for hours, I called Brian at work. 
Yeah, so I get a phone call and Bonnie is laughing on the other end of the phone. She said, you have no idea what you did to me, do you? And I said, no, I have no idea what in the world did I do. And that's when she said to me that I had locked her in the coop. And now, now folks, I, I posted this on Facebook. I confessed uh, to, to my indiscretion here, <laughs> my mistake. And uh, many, many people were of the mindset that I am very blessed to be married to this woman. Um, in fact, one of our friends said that if her husband ever did that, she would be a widow. So, uh, yeah, so she had a great sense of humor about it. Uh, the funny thing was, is she didn't remember, she didn't realize that she actually had her cell phone <laughs> in her pocket. And so she could have called our son to uh, come let her out of the coop, but she totally forgot she had her cell phone. And so she had to crawl out the door. Now, I want also to let you guys know this. One of the things that people suggested to me is that I needed to make it up to her. And so, you know, people talk about, well, maybe I should take her out to dinner or I should um, get her, you know, a dozen roses. And so that evening... I decided that I was going to do better than just buying a dozen. I bought her a baker's dozen, except it wasn't roses. Uh, we had talked about getting turkeys again this year. And so I was going to do like six turkeys, maybe eight turkeys. Well, I was a tractor supply. They had turkeys. And so I said, the lady, I'll go ahead and take eight. And she said, I tell you what, I'll give you a good deal. If you buy all of the turkeys that we have here, I will sell them to you for a dollar. <laughs> and so I came home with 13 turkeys. Uh, so you talk about digging a hole deeper. Um, but she's a very, very gracious, a very, very forgiving, a very, very loving, a very, very beautiful wife, long suffering. She is a saint and I love her very much. And uh, yeah, I, I wish I could say now I've never locked her in the coop before. I, I that that's a first. Uh, <laughs> it better be the last. <laughs> Woo um, but it's not the first time I've come home uh, with animals unannounced. Um, like when I came home with the ducks, like, oh yeah, by the way, She's like, oh, were they on special? And I was like, uh, no, I ordered them. <laughs> thought we needed some more ducks. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, anyhow, folks. So that's what uh, went down here on 3B Farm and Homestead. I locked my wife in the coop and lived to tell about it. No black <laughs> eyes. Uh, no yes. frying. <laughs> yes. 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 No frying pans upside the head. And so, um, baby. Thank you. I love you. And uh, anyhow, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you All for right. having me on. So those of you who watch this on YouTube, obviously she is much better looking than I am. Uh, and so I definitely married above my pay grade, but God willing, this is not going to be the last time you hear her here on the podcast. In fact, we are working on, a very, very exciting interview that she is going to be a part of. Uh, and so you're, you're definitely not going to want to miss that. But anyhow, thank you, babe, for being on the uh, podcast. I greatly appreciate it. 
So on to some of the other things that took place here on the homestead this week. Not only did we add the piglets and the meat chickens, but we also brought in our laying flock this year. So our new standard breed birds, that was an absolute blast. And it was also very a very emotional time for me because my son, he loves when we get the chicks, especially the standard breeds. The meat birds he tolerates, the standard breeds are just absolutely his babies. And so when we were in the coop and he was dipping the beaks in the water and just kind of loving on them as, as he has a tendency to do. And if you follow us on Facebook or on Instagram, you will have seen the picture that I posted of him. Uh, holding the baby chick. You'll also see a picture that I posted of him holding a piglet this week, but it really struck me. We've been doing this now for a number of years. And there's one picture in particular that we have of him when we got our chicks, when we were still brooding them down at my grandfather's house and he couldn't hardly see up over the side. And I believe my wife is holding him and he's petting one of the chickens. And then I looked at my 16-year-old son and I thought, man, I don't have too many of these days left. And it kind of left me in a bit of a melancholy mood. I'm not going to lie. It really did. I, I was a little bit melancholy that evening um, because, again, he's 16 and who knows? Maybe next year he's not going to be interested in and helping, uh, I, I don't think so. I think he'll still love putting those chicks in. But I know, folks, that those days are drawing to a close. And I would say to you, if you're a parent right now, and you've got little ones, enjoy every minute. Don't blink, because you'll miss it. And I'm just very, very thankful that I've had the opportunity to spend time with him in the chicken coop and to connect with him over our shared love of chickens. My hope is to actually have them on the podcast in the near future to talk about the breeds that we're going to uh, be raising this year on the homestead. But uh, I really just tried to be in that moment. It was just one of those times when I, I just recognized, and sometimes you don't recognize those things, folks. But at that moment, I just really recognized there's not too many, not too many these days left. And so I just really tried to live in that moment. Not only did we add piglets and meat chickens and turkeys and standard breed chickens, but the animals that we added to the homestead this week that I thought I never would add were cats. We got two barn cats this week. Now, it was supposed to be three barn cats. We actually drove down to Oneana, New York and met up with my in-laws who brought the cats up from, uh, from Pennsylvania. Bonnie's aunt and uncle have people just started dropping cats off at their house. I don't know why, but they just started doing it. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I think they said they took 10 or 11 cats to be spayed and neutered because people just keep dropping cats off at their house. And so they were gracious enough to send three cats up uh, with my in-laws and we met them at a restaurant in Oneana. And so after we got done eating dinner, we were trying to transfer the cats from the cages that they brought them up into the cages that we were going to bring them home in. And one of the cats decided that they didn't want to come home to 3B Farm and Homestead, and she gone. 
took off. I don't know if it was a she or he, but took off like a rocket. My son went running across the parking lot. We said, don't bother. It's gone. So Oniana is now got a new cat folks. I'm sorry. I'm, it was not by plan, uh, but that thing just was gone. And so anyhow, we have Sunny and Blackie. So Sunny is a, an orange, yellow, what I, I don't know, cat colors. Um, but again, on Facebook and Instagram, if you follow us there, you'll have seen pictures of them. Blackie is a black um, cat. Blackie is fairly tame and uh, you can pet it and handle it. Sunny, well, we probably should have waited before we named it because it certainly doesn't have a sunny disposition. We brought them home in two separate cages, but I wanted to consolidate them into one cage. And when I went to put Sunny into the cage, Sunny was not very happy. And Sunny started clawing me and biting me. And so Sonny and I are going to have to kind of get to know each other a little bit. I don't know if Sonny and I will ever be best of friends, but right now what we've done is we've put them in the hoop coop with the rabbits. We've got the chickens blocked off from being able to go in there and I'm going to keep them in there for about a week, I think in a cage. Um, and then we'll start letting them, uh, letting them roam, but we want them to get used to us, get understand that this is home. Um, we're being nice to them. This is where they're going to find good food. And uh, so hopefully then we'll put them to work and they can deal with the rodents, those chipmunks and squirrels, and even a few rats that we've had running around here. Um, I want them gone. And so that's what the barn cats are for. Finally, this week we got seeds started. So I was able to start some seeds in the wind strip trays and uh, we also got some seeds started in soil blocks. When I went to actually look for my soil block maker, I couldn't find it. So I had to order another one of those. So instead of getting everything started on Tuesday, I had to wait till Thursday when the soil block maker got here. But uh, we have things in the seed starting system and I will be adding more over the next couple of weeks. But peppers and tomatoes are in there. Obviously, the onions are still in there. And uh, so just excited about all of that. As I said, folks, very, very busy week here on 3B Farm and Homestead. Just so excited about this time of the year. I absolutely love spring. I love all of the baby animals that we have. We've got another litter of piglets on the way. Excited about that. And who knows what else we'll add. Stay tuned. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right. Before we head on over to this week's Charting the Course, if you are interested in supporting the show, you can do so in a number of different ways. First of all, the easiest way for you to support the Homestead Journey podcast is to simply share it with your friends, with people that you think would find value in what I share. And I greatly appreciate all of you who do that. If you haven't already, if you could jump on over to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and simply leave me a review or rating, a thumbs up, I would also appreciate that. That does help people find the show. And then if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do so in a couple of different ways. If you head on over to our website, thehomesteadjourney.net slash shop, you will find links to our t-shirt shop where you can buy t-shirts with our fabulous designs, as well as a bunch of links to homesteading gear, books, 
and it's not just gear and books, but this is gear that we use on our homestead, books that I've read, things that I think you will find uh, helpful in your journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. So check those out. And if you buy through those links, a portion of that does come back to help support the show. And I really, really appreciate that. One other thing before we head on over to this week's Charting the Course. One of the things that you probably know by now is that I am very, very passionate about people getting started on their journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. If you've listened back on episode two and episode three, when I talked about what is homesteading, how do I start the homesteading journey? Folks, I strongly believe that anyone can homestead. Now, I don't believe that homesteading is for everyone, but I believe that regardless of where you live, how much land you have, whether or not you work a full-time job, I don't believe any of that matters. I believe that you can start your homestead journey today, right now, wherever it is that you live, you can start your journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. But there are a lot of people who are on the fence about that, people who don't think that they can start that journey now, people who think that they have to wait until they have the five, the 10, the 15, the 20 acres of land, people who think that they've got to wait until they can retire or they have enough financial independence where they can quit their full-time job. There are so many barriers that people put in their way, myths that people have bought into that keep them from starting their journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. And I am just somebody who is very, very passionate about helping people get beyond that and to be able to, to, to take those first baby steps on their homesteading journey. This week on a couple of Facebook groups, and it was just two Facebook groups that I chose. Um, one is a, a smaller group. Uh, the other one is a, a quite a bit larger group. And I, I chose these two groups on purpose and asked this. I'm curious if there are any members of this group that dream of homesteading someday, but feel like you lack the space, time, resources, or something else to get started. Is there anyone here like that? And folks, the answers that I got just confirmed in my mind that there is a need for people to hear that they can start their homestead journey now. And so I am working on something. I, I hinted at this last week. I'm working on something very, very exciting where I am going to be providing for five days some mentorship, some coaching, some teaching, um, whatever you want to call it, but, but really trying to help people get started. And so if you are someone who finds yourself in that boat, you dream of homesteading one day, but you don't think you can start now. What I'm asking you to do is I want you to send me an email, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. And just say, Brian, I'm one of those kinds of people. And then let me know what it is 
that is your barrier? What is it that's keeping you from taking that first step? And the reason why I'm asking you to email me is because what I am, I'm in the process of putting together this program and I want you to be the first one to know about it. I want you to be the first one to, to, to be able to take advantage of this. This is going to be absolutely free folks. I'm not charging any money for this training. Okay. Absolutely free training. It's going to be live and I, I hope it's going to be helpful. My plan is for it to be awesome. (laughs) I hope it's not going to suck, but it's going to be free. So if it sucks, well, you didn't pay any money for it, right? But reach out to me, folks, please. Brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. I am going to be putting this together. I'm going to be hopefully getting some other homesteaders to join, to be able to speak to some of these myths. And at the end of it, my hope is that at the end of those five days, you are going to have in place a blueprint, um, a roadmap whereby you can start your journey, your journey then, right then and there. You don't have to wait. But you can start your journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. So if that is something that speaks to your heart, again, email me, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net, so that I can make sure that you are the first one to know about that. I'm just so excited about it, folks. It's just something that, I mean, I, I lay awake at night thinking about it. I'm just, I'm so jazzed up about this. And if there are friends of yours that you, that are in that same boat, share with them the good news that this is coming their way. Okay. So again, Brian at the homesteadjourney.net, let me know. And I will make sure that, you know, you are one of the first ones to know when I launch this and it's going to be the next couple of weeks, folks. So do not wait, do not tarry, but reach out to me, Brian at the homesteadjourney.net. Again, zero dollars no money. Okay. So very excited about it. All right. Enough of that. Let's jump on over to this week's charting the course. On this week's charting the course, I am going back to the garden. Uh, I want to revisit um, a garden topic that I've really meant to talk about for a while. And I just haven't gotten around. I'm, I think I've mentioned it in passing, but I really wanted to do an episode specifically about this topic. And that topic is hybrid vegetables. I'm titling this episode, why I plant hybrid varieties and why I think you should too. Now, this kind of goes against the grain of a lot of what you hear in homesteading circles. In many homesteading circles, you hear a lot about heirloom varieties and open pollinated varieties, and that just seems to be all of the rage. And I get why. Um, I love my heirlooms. I love open pollinated varieties. There is so much benefit to them. I'm not knocking them at all. But some people in the homesteading realm and some people in the gardening realm they treat hybrid varieties as almost a dirty word. I think some of that comes from a misunderstanding as far as what hybrid varieties are, because I've had people tell me, well, a hybrid is basically a GMO. 
That's not true. Absolute hogwash. Hybrid varieties are not GMOs. Or at least they don't have to be GMOs. Just because something is, a, I guess something could be a hybrid and GMO. But the fact of the matter is, folks, one of the things that drives me nuts when I see seed companies that are geared towards home gardeners trumpeting the fact that they are selling non-GMO seeds, they can't sell GMO seeds, okay? GMO seeds have to be sold under contract. You're not going to accidentally get GMO seeds. Um, Now, there could be cross-pollination that could take place, but most of them are testing their seed, all of that kind of stuff. Anyhow, hybrids are not GMO. They're not basically GMO. That's hogwash. So what are hybrids? Hybrids are vegetable varieties where plant breeders have intentionally cross-pollinated two different varieties of plant with the intention of producing an offspring with the best traits of both parents. Now, I want you to note a couple of things. This is using the same species, right? We're not talking about taking DNA from a jellyfish and inserting it into the genetic code of corn. Okay. We're talking about two of the same species being intentionally cross-pollinated to produce a desired result. And it's using a natural process. It's using pollination. Now, stepping back from hybrids just for a second, how do you think that all of the heirloom varieties were developed? They were developed by crossing two different plants to produce a given outcome. With heirlooms, it just means that they've been standardized and they've been around for a long time. Hybrids generally are newer, but they've used the exact same process, pollination, a natural process. Now, certainly there are maybe some downsides to hybrids, and maybe some of it has been that hybrids have gotten a bad rap, well, deservedly. Many times, especially in the tomato world, hybrids have been developed for how the tomatoes look, how well they're able to be transported, how well they're, they produce in different environments, in particular in hot houses, um, how prolific they are. Taste has generally not been a characteristic that traditionally they have been bred for. Now, that's not true in all cases. And we'll talk about a few varieties that I tried last year where that certainly is not the case. But in many, many instances, taste was not high on the list of priorities for the plant breeders. And so this has led to tomatoes that we find in the supermarket that are meaty but tasteless. But that's not the fault of the hybrid. That's just that the characteristics that the breeders were looking for, well, taste wasn't high on their list of priorities. Another downside Or another reason why hybrids sometimes get a bad rap is because of seed patents. You see, there are companies who have patented certain varieties of vegetables. And there are a lot of people who think that that is not ethical, that seeds should be freely able to be used 
uh, in crossing to make other varieties, that you should be able to legally and freely save seeds and all of those kinds of things. And I agree with all of that, but every hybrid has not been patented. And in most cases, the patent protections that are in place for hybrids don't apply to home gardeners anyhow. It's more um, for commercial growers. While I understand the distaste that people have for that, and I understand why people might not want to support that, again, keep in mind that not every hybrid has been patented. The seed patent does not extend to every hybrid. And the final reason why some people are having aversion to um, hybrids is because hybrids generally do not breed true. In other words, if you save the seeds from a, let's say a tomato and you plant those seeds the next year, they're going to germinate. Most likely they're going to grow tomato plants. It's not like you're going to save the seeds from a tomato and it's going to grow a cucumber. It's not going to do anything like that. It's going to grow a tomato plant, but the fruit that is produced may not and quite likely will not have the same characteristics of the parent uh, and the things that they were bred for. So maybe they were bred for disease resistance. Well, the second generation may not have that disease resistance, or maybe they were bred for a particular color or a, a particular um, uh, look or, or feel. And that next uh, generation may not have that. But can you plant those seeds? Yes. Will they germinate? Yes. Will they produce tomatoes? Probably. But they're not going to guaranteed breed true to what the parent was. Now, I'm sure there are probably some other downsides to hybrids, but there are also a lot of upsides to hybrids. Hybrids in general, at times can be more forgiving. So maybe you can get away if you're a brand new gardener, they might bounce back a little better if you forget to water them or you overwater them. There is this concept in biology, and I don't fully understand it. I just know enough about it to be dangerous, but it's called hybrid vigor. And so sometimes when you cross two different varieties, whether it's plants or whether it's animals, you end up getting, at least in that first generation, what they call an F1 cross, you get what they call hybrid vigor, which is just an increase in perhaps fertility, an increase in hardiness. And so hybrid vegetables can be more forgiving and have that hybrid vigor that sometimes maybe an heirloom might not have. Hybrids also generally have been bred to have certain characteristics such as being more consistent producers with bigger yields and bigger fruit sizes. So if you're someone who is growing in a small amount of space, then hybrids might work well for you. They might work to your benefit in that out of a smaller area, you may achieve a greater harvest because the plants that you are going to put in that place are going to produce or yield more fruit. One of the biggest benefits though to hybrids is that many of them have been bred for better disease resistance. So I have here my 
catalog from Fedco. You know, Fedco is one of my favorite seed companies and they have some uh, hybrids in here and they talk about how, and I'm just looking at the summer squash and the zucchini. So this is what it says about the Delta with its graceful curved neck. Butter yellow Delta is what most Yankees call a crook neck, nutty and sweet raw and just fine for summer sauteing earlier and with higher yield and longer production than gentry which is another variety delta has the added modern bonus of powdery mildew resistance so did you hear that it is it has higher yields and longer production than another variety which happens to be a a a hybrid cross as well gentry is um but it is resistant to powdery mildew so if you are someone who has problems with powdery mildew then you may want to look at planting something like Delta or Gentry, which both have resistance to powdery mildew. So again, hybrids can have disease resistance that are is naturally going to work to your benefit. Now, I said earlier that many hybrid varieties were not bred for flavor, but there are some that have been. In fact, one of the most prolific and sweetest and most loved cherry tomatoes is one called sun gold. I've talked about it. I planted it for the first time last year and I found it to be one of the sweetest. It's like, it was almost like candy. I would drive in my driveway and I would, as I was driving by the the garden, I would stop every day and jump into the garden and pick a handful of sun gold tomatoes because they are like candy. It was like crack. I just, I couldn't get enough of them. They're a hybrid variety. I actually thought before I planted them, I'd heard a lot about sun golds before. I thought they were an heirloom. They are not. They are a hybrid variety. Absolutely delicious, very prolific, but certainly they do not live up to the reputation that hybrids have that they taste like crap. These were amazing. Another hybrid that I planted for the first time last year, tomato wise, was the Bellarosa tomato, or as I like to call it, the Bellarosa, because it's just funner to say it that way. <laughs> but the Bellarosa tomato came highly recommended by Jason Smith over at Cog Hill Farm. And folks, it tastes very, very good. It was one of the best tasting tomatoes that I had last year. Now, it didn't win in my taste test, but it certainly was a very, very good tasting tomato, very uniform in size and shape. So it wasn't the ugly fruit that sometimes you get from heirloom varieties, and it just tasted wonderful. Again, it did not live up to the negative connotation that hybrids have. Now, with regards to seed saving, yes, as I said earlier, you may not get the same um, characteristics in the next year's planting of that vegetable. Quite frankly, many of us aren't seed savers. Let's just be honest about it. Some of us do save seeds from year to year, but many of us aren't. I'm not a seed saver. It's something that I want to do more of, but it's very, it's, it's kind of hypocritical of me to hide behind, well, I can't save the seeds if I'm not saving the seeds. Now, if you're someone who loves to save seeds, good on you. I'm, I'm not knocking you at all. I think it's great. I think, as I said earlier, I think more of us should do that. But unless you're saving seeds, then probably the fact that you can't save hybrid seeds 
it's not that you can't save hybrid seeds. That that's people say that that's not true. You can save hybrid seeds. It's just a matter of when you plant them, are you going to get what you planted? Maybe, maybe not. And you know what, folks, you may get something better. Who knows? It could taste better. It could look better. Give it a whirl. Roll the dice. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Why not give it a try? Most of us are going to buy seeds anyhow next year. So to save a few seeds from your sun golds and try planting them next year, see what you get. Save a few seeds from your Bellarosas, plant them next year, see what you get. If it's a total failure, well, you know it was a total failure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate planting your entire garden in that in that way. But on the other hand, if the crap hit the fan and that's all you had left to plant, plant it. I don't think you're gonna go hungry. But folks, I do plant a mixture of hybrids and heirlooms in my garden. I plant the heirlooms because if I decide to start saving seeds, then I know that they're going to breed true. But I also plant the hybrids because of some of the disease resistance capabilities. I have a horrible problem with powdery mildew here. And so I'm hoping this year, I chose a couple of varieties specifically because of the resistance to powdery mildew. Because of some of the issues that I've had, I think these hybrids may work well for me, but I'm not putting all of my eggs in that basket either. I love my heirlooms, but I also do think that hybrids have a place in my garden, and I think they could have a place in your garden as well. If you've got any questions or comments, reach out to me. Again, my email address is brian at homesteadjourney.net. If you are on the fence or excited about this upcoming challenge that I'm going to be put putting forward uh, and the training, the coaching, the mentoring that I'm going to be doing over those five days. Again, reach out to me, Brian at the homesteadjourney.net. I want to make sure that you are one of the first to know when I launch that. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, Keep up the good work.